Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday, talking some USC Trojan football with the beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. Dan Weber's joining the show. I want to talk about the uh, spring quote-unquote game a little bit, but you got a lot of questions you guys have sent in, so we want to try to get to all of those and talk about all the topics that you care about. If you have any questions or want us to talk about something on the podcast, just email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call our new voicemail number, 424 424- Two five four nine one four one. You can leave a voicemail there or send us a text if that's easier and check it out. Uh, we're on iTunes, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, uh, a lot of different ways to consume the show. Leave us some positive feedback. That would be wonderful, especially on the iTunes. That's where most people end up accessing the show, and we do appreciate that. Uh, and without further ado, let's bring in Dan Weber. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hey, pretty good. We got a lot of questions. That means uh, maybe we won't have to talk about the spring game, <laughs> spring game very much, which would be a good way to go. I think it's in the rearview mirror. It was one of the less memorable practices of the 15 practices, much less a spring game. Uh, and and you know it's nice that they do the. Um, what was really nice was bringing in the, the new players that we haven't seen yet. Um, uh, uh, you know, sending off the. Uh, uh, the seniors from last year with their Rose Bowl rings and all that. That was great stuff. I really, really like that. But, uh, as far as the game itself, uh, 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 you know, I think I will enjoy some of the player run practices more than, <laughs> uh, than that spring game. And they'll be more competitive and more, you know, more interesting. So, so it's, it, it it's goodbye. And, uh, and, and, and I, I like it in a way. Because it, it lets you really focus on what's coming up, which is what matters. Yeah, we uh you know, we got to talk to Harvey Hyde on Monday a little about the spring game and uh I think that was a good recap. We don't really need to go into much more, um, because there just wasn't <laughs> much before we got on the show you said it well, like if Sam Darnold only throws six passes, you know uh it's really not worth talking about. <laughs> right. I mean he would throw six passes in the dummy part of scrimmage before practice. Yeah. You know, uh, on a normal day. So, uh, yeah, Sam almost had assumed a role of player coach, I think, uh, on that day, which is a good thing because he's going to be, uh, you know, for the next two months, he's going to be a player coach. And I think he's really looking forward, uh, you know, to doing that. And he talked about how, uh, he really likes it when the coaches aren't around because there's nobody else for the, like the young wide receiver group to listen to except him. He said, you know, when the coaches are around, they kind of have to listen to the coaches too. But, uh, when I'm, uh, when I'm out there with them, uh, especially, you know, when the player run practices, he's going to run the practice. And, uh, that's pretty cool when you, you know, the kid's going into his red shirt sophomore year, but, uh, he doesn't seem like a, uh, he's still technically a red shirt freshman. Doesn't seem like one. No, certainly not. Um, okay, well, so this show is going to be about answering all the questions. There are a lot of different topics, uh, kind of potpourri, if you will. So it's all over the place. So I'll just jump right in. 
Uh, first one says, hello, Dan. Uh, a lot of O's in his hello. Uh, <laughs> last year, USC ended up fifth in the Pac-12 in scoring defense, allowing 24.2 points per game. Washington was first, uh, allowing 17.7 points per game. Do you believe USC will improve in this category this year? And do you think they can drop below the magic number of 20 points per game? Thanks, Paul in Santa Clarita. Paul, that's a good point. I, I think absolutely. I mean, I've been really trying to push the idea that this is going to be a defense-centric, you know, defense-first team. And, uh, you know, as much as, you know, Sam Darnold moves the needle and the Heisman, you know, expectations and the young wide receivers and a, you know, really good tight end group and, and, um, and we'll see how the, you know, the offensive line ends up with a lot of veterans you know, could fill in and if they're all healthy. Uh and Rojo and Aka Cedric and Stephen Carr coming in and Vavai Malapai and all these names that we know on offense. I just think this is going to be a team that's going to start with defense. And defense is what shows up every week. And that's what didn't happen last week or last year. Uh the defense was there sometimes. I mean even in the Rose Bowl. There were some quarters, like the first and the fourth, where the defense showed up. And the second and third, they weren't in the stadium anywhere. Uh, and so I think what you, you have to see this year with the increased depth, uh, even at positions where like outside linebacker, there are just four guys, uh, for the two spots. And so just the two deep, uh, they're really good four guys. Uh, the inside linebacker could be the same way. You know, you may just have four, but it looks like there's some real, you know, real talent there. So, what you're going to see, I think, is is more than just the first team on the field. You're going to see, uh, you know, two rotations. You're going to see Alawale Batiko having a chance to, you know, as as a backup, uh, still having a chance to show what he can do uh, in the pass rush and, and running people down and and all of that. So yeah, I think 20 points is a really good, uh, you know, a good number to you know set as a goal and to get below that and uh, you know i think they i'd be i'll be disappointed if they're not uh i'll be really just i'll be disappointed if they don't lead the pac-12 and and scoring defense uh i just think i think we should expect them to uh the way uh the way the roster is shaping up and the way they've looked this spring and the way clancy uh coaches them up I, i think i think you know they've got the personnel to match what they're trying to do on defense. So I agree with you. Good question. All right. Uh, let's move on to Stephen Poway. He said, I believe it's a truism that you can replace talent, but you can't replace experience. So while I was delighted for the seniors and the early leaving juniors who received their Rose Bowl rings on the Coliseum field on Saturday, I couldn't help but wonder whether USC is going to really struggle to replace those players this year. How do you replace Adore Jackson, Juju Smith-Schuster? Even the three offensive linemen are Stevie T. Uh, as if to prove my point, I thought the play on the field seemed sloppy at times, particularly among the wide receivers who struggle to make catches. Am I just worrying for not, or do you think we could be in for a bit of a struggle, especially in the first few games? Thanks for all of your great work. Fight on, Steve and Poway. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a, you know it's a consideration. I wouldn't say it's a worry. I mean, you've got a, you know new young talent replaces old talent. I mean, it, this is what college football is all about. You you bring in the new guys and you you know it's your job to get them ready to you know to play, and that's what has to happen here uh, in the uh, you know the 29 uh, fall practices and the uh, 
you know, five or six weeks of player run practices. Uh, they have to get to that point. I think they know where they have to get. Uh, I don't think it would be uh, reasonable to base any decision about where they are based on the spring game. I mean, I know that's maybe not, you know, not a fair way to do it for people who only get to see them in that game. But, uh, but, you know, I would not use the word worry. I would not even use the spring game as any kind of a, you know, a, a judgment about these guys. I mean, I don't think the wide receivers, I don't think there's any drop off at all, to be honest with you. I, I really don't. I mean, uh, in terms of, of actual performance. I mean, Deontay Burnett wasn't there. You didn't have Sam throwing, um, you know, to Michael Pittman and, and Tyler Vaughn's. Um, so, uh, I, I would not use the word worry. I do think, you know, you got to play into experience. Experience comes with, with, with playing. But, um, and I think this is an unusual group. Not a great deal of experience is red shirts, uh, and, and going against those guys who left. And they went against them, you know, hard and every day. And I thought they did a good job with the ones against the twos or mixing in the red shirts with the twos last year. So they will come out. They, they are coming out of last fall with more experience and, and a much closer to being able to, you know, to answer the bell as experienced guys. Do you replace a Dory? Uh, you know, no, of course not. Uh, you know, defensively, I think, you know, I think they've got a shot. Uh, in terms of that guy who's just spectacular with the ball in his hand, um, you know, no, they're not going to do that. But you know, if you can, uh, you know, if you can, you know, split it up and, and figure out different ways to, to get some things done, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be something I would say, oh, woe is me. We're not going to be able to do this or we're not going to be able to do that. So that's just my take. I, I don't have that, that same sense of worry about the young guys replacing the older guys. All right. Steve had another question. He said, watching Jack Sears play quarterback at the Coliseum on Saturday, I kept thinking it was Sam Darnold until I looked closely at the jersey number. He looked pretty good in my opinion. Do you see much of a gap between Sears and Matt Fink? Um, I think the gap that there is from Matt Fink improving so much and taking advantage of, of everything that's happened. I mean, he got a, a great chance to, you know, with the scout team. And uh, I think he's done a great job in the weight room. And he always had some natural ability to just take off with the football. And he's shown, uh, you know, real you know ability to do that. But he's gotten stronger. And, and on top of the football, delivering both the short routes and the deep routes with uh, much more certainty. So uh, I think with Jack, you know, to ask a kid who should still be in high school to step in and play at the level, you know, you're asking somebody to do at USC is, is, is just, you know, the very fact that he can he can do that at all tells you how much ability is there. But uh, but that year that Matt Fink has had. Uh, playing college football is a big, big, big difference. I mean, even Sam Darnold, and maybe we look back now and say, gee, maybe, maybe it shouldn't have gone that way. As good as he was, as big and strong and athletic and competitive and cool and all confident as he was coming out of his, uh, uh, you know, his, I guess he just didn't get here till the summer, but 
you know, that, that freshman year, that first year, that redshirt year, he was awfully good. And, um, and still he probably needed that year. I don't know if it would have been completely fair to throw him in there, um, you know, with, with those guys. So, so I, so I don't think you should expect Jack Sears as much, you know, you know talent, as much athletic ability, uh, as he has to be right there with Matt Fink because of Matt Fink's, uh, ability to take advantage of, of his first year. So, uh, but you can certainly see, you know, the talent that Jack Sears has. Um, and, uh, it's kind of nice to have him rather than have two guys that are equal. It might be nice to just have, you know, one a little ahead of the other. And that's who you're, who you're chasing because it tells you that Matt Fink has also, um, you know, come a long way in his first year. And I think Jack will do the same thing. Is Jack maybe a little more athletic? Maybe. I mean, I thought coming out of high school and watching his high school film and all that, he was unbelievably athletic. But Matt Fink has, has shown everybody something about his own athleticism. So uh, that's, that's an interesting, interesting, uh, you know, head-to-head uh, with those two guys. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a there's certainly a gap. I thought I thought there might not be when he came in, but I agree. Uh, I think Matt Fink's played better. Uh, Jack Sears, there's just going to be some growing pains. So yeah, I don't I don't I think it's pretty clear two and three right now, and I, you know that'll probably change down the road. But for now, I think it's there. Um, Tarek had a question, Dan. He said, "Is Jamel Cook mostly working in the nickel spot, or do you expect to see him compete for time at safety, especially with the return of Jonathan Lockett?" You know what? I wouldn't, I mean, they finally put him in. I, mean, I was thinking about this the other day and, and they actually did it. They just threw him in a corner also when they kind of ran out of corners in the spring game. Uh, I don't think there's anywhere he can't play. I mean, he's got hips. Uh, he, I mean, he, he does things no six, four guys should, should be able to do. And, and he, his starts and stops, his body control. Uh, you know, so I would, I wouldn't try to pencil him in anywhere at this point in time. I think, you know, they're going to, you know, see where he is in the playbook, where he is in terms of, you know, I mean, I think the thing that this secondary has to do this year is absolute perfection, no breakdowns in coverage, no blown play, you know, no give up, easy give ups, because if this team doesn't give up something easy, they're not going to give up anything. I mean, I think they have the athletes to, to just contest you on almost every uh, every time you throw the ball against them, if they're in the right place, if they're in the right coverage, if they know who's doing what. Uh, so, I mean, it's adding a layer of complexity with Jamel, who didn't get to play last year and basically, you know, showed what he could do. He went against, you know, Juju almost every day and got a chance to do those kinds of things. But uh, now you're in another, you know, another spot. So we'll see. How does he do in the player run practices and how does he pick it up? But, uh, but I'd, I'd almost be comfortable with him as a, as a six four corner. I mean, he just, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his skill set. I'm just thinking his attitude, um, in terms of how he wants to, his aggressiveness, how he wants to play the game, how he wants to understand what they need him to do is, uh, is the question that he's going to have to answer. In, in terms of his preparation and um, and keeping his head in the game at all times and all that, but uh, but uh, I, I would just see what happens, see where they end up with him, 
Uh, and you're right, Jonathan Lockett's return may, uh, you know, change the calculus of, of the secondary. And, and we'll just have to see, uh, you know, how that all plays out. Let's go to Eric. Uh, he said, is Rojo working on his pass catching skills? Uh, is he staying after practice with the wide receivers on the jugs machine? Being able to utilize him on screens and wheel routes would be a real game changer. Thanks as always, Eric in Duck Country. Well, I think it's during practice too. I mean, I think uh, just the, the the level of detail with Delan McCullough uh, as the new new coach. And I know that was something Tommy Robinson always talked about, and and you never know when it's going to kick in in terms of of Rojo's total understanding that not only does his future with USC and USC's future depend on his ability to do this, but so does his, you know, uh, NFL uh, future uh, with the ability to, you know, to really catch the football. So there's a lot of work being done there. I think it'll also be motivated by the fact that, you know, in the spring, Vavai Malapai became a big target, uh, you know, for this offense. He really got a lot of chances and made a lot of plays. And Stephen Carr, they're already, you know, talking about how that's one of the things that Stephen Carr brings to the table is the ability to throw the ball to him. So I think what you're going to see is, uh, is just, you know, the competition, uh, in, you know, within the team is going to inspire, I think, Rojo. I mean, Rojo is definitely more detailed oriented about everything he does. Uh, uh, the other thing that they obviously are working on, is pass protection. You don't want to have to always take him out. Uh, you want him to be, and he wants to be in every down back. He's 205 now. Uh, he's, he, he certainly looks like he hasn't lost anything. Might be quicker, but, uh, you want a kid like that on the field, uh, at all times, but you need him to be able to block, uh, pass block, and you need him to be able to, you know, be that outlet receiver. And, uh, so they're working on it. They're thinking about it. And, uh, and we'll see. Uh, unfortunately, he had the turf toe in the spring, so we didn't get to see as much of that as, as we'd like to see. Uh, again, one more item on the agenda to make it happen during uh, the player run practices uh, before they get, you know, into into uh, fall practice and those 29 practices. But uh, that's certainly on the on the on the to do list uh, for for Rojo. Let's see. Let's go to Paul in Vegas. He said, I've waited until after spring ball to bring up this question. Uh, it has to do with the scholarships for the minor sports. Do we offer fewer scholarships than other major programs in sports like baseball, swimming, etc.? I realize the cost of athletic scholarships at a school like USC are tremendously expensive. Does this limitation prevent us from putting championship teams on the field or in the water? For us to win national championships in water polo, do we offer more scholarships? Stanford always does so well in both men's and women's minor sports, so they offer more athletic scholarships in those sports than we do. Thanks, Paul in Vegas. Good questions, Paul. I think uh, the scholarship limitation. USC gives whatever the you know the, whatever the allowed scholarships are. USC gives them. I think it impacts you gravely in baseball. For example, eleven and a half scholarships when you need about thirty players uh, to have a really big time program. Uh, and USC doesn't have the ability, you know, with a tuition of 65,000 or whatever, uh, to have the kind of walk-ons, uh, you can split scholarships up, but you know, you can, you know, a kid 
you know, gets a partial scholarship at USC, still is responsible for a whole lot more money than he would be uh, should he choose to go to, uh, you know, UC Irvine or uh, Long Beach State or, or Riverside or uh, UCLA and, uh, and uh, Cal State Fullerton, for example. And you can win a national champ. Well, at least at three of those others, you can probably win a national champ. Four, maybe, uh, win a national championship in baseball, certainly as easily as you could at USC. You know that wasn't the case back in the 50s and 60s when Rod Dado's teams just dominated. Uh, you know, not just on the West Coast, but nationally. Uh, it's very, very difficult to do it. Uh, a program like Stanford basically. Uh, is full scholarship for every kid whose family income is under $100,000. And since Stanford does that, it's kind of like an Ivy League school. Uh, there's no advantage so they, uh, for, uh, for baseball players, let's say, going to Stanford or, who, or whatever. Uh, if you get admitted and your family income is under $100,000, you know, you're on scholarship. And because those are not geared to athletics, it's just every single kid in, in school uh, gets that kind of, uh, student aid. It gives a Stanford an advantage in a sport like, like baseball. Uh, I think sports were, there are so many events and you need so many, um, uh, participants to score points like track and field and, um, and swimming, let's say. Uh, that's where USC runs out of bodies. You know, you could have, you know, really, really good you know, like when they had Andre DeGrasse a couple of years ago, was the best sprinter in the country by far, and had a number of people, you know, in the sprints, let's say, or the jumps or the, uh, you know, field events. You still run out of bodies when it comes to all those, you know, let's say relay races and things like that or distant events. Uh, that that they just USC, I don't think has the number, uh, the numbers to be able to compete. That's why. USC will finish way higher than, say, UCLA uh, in the national, uh, you know, national meets because they have people who can win and score points. But when they go head-to-head in a USC-UCLA event, UCLA just has so many more athletes that they often have a chance to beat USC with a clearly inferior team at the top level. So, so yeah, the scholarship uh, limitations in some of the sports and I don't know, I, I wish I knew water polo better. It just looks like that sport, like tennis and golf, doesn't seem to be limited as much by the numbers. The numbers of scholarships that you're allowed uh, do not limit you the way they do, say, in baseball. Uh, and that's about the best way I, I can give you an answer. It's a good question. It's, it's, a real, it's a real factor. I think baseball is the worst one. Uh, to only allow 11 and a half scholarships, uh, when you, essentially you need 30 players. Uh, that's, that's a really difficult situation for USC. I mean, USC's got the best baseball tradition in NCAA history. Uh, and yet, I think, you know, when they legislated some of these things, I don't, th- I think the people, uh, who passed these, these, uh, scholarship limitations, and, you know, it's in reaction to somewhat to Title IX. But uh, didn't mind limiting those numbers because, you know, at the, a lot of the state schools and the big schools, it's so much easier uh, to walk on 
and when they split scholarships, it's so much easier to make up the difference um, in a you know state school state school tuition. So it's a tough deal. Uh, you know, some schools have figured out how to do it. I think Stanford for a while they've kind of gone away. Vanderbilt and Rice still have have maintained that ability, but they are not competing in in, in metropolitan areas and markets where the kids have a whole lot of other choices if they want to be on a really great program. If you're in, you know, central Tennessee or if you're in Texas um, or in the Houston area, there's not much competition right there, whereas in L.A., you've got these other five or six programs that are just so good that it's just too easy for kids to say, I'd rather go there and it'll cost me about a fourth as much as, as if I go to USC. So good question. Uh, Earl in West LA said, I was trying to take the high road in my comment last week by overlooking Larry Scott's despicable decision to exclude USC from the inaugural Pac-12 championship game. During the five years of bowl bans and scholarship limitations, USC appeared on national television more than any other school in the conference, driving television rev- revenue to the other member schools who, along with Scott, never defended USC against the sanctions. USC appears to have a lot of financial clout, yet they seem reluctant to uh, to use it. What do you think uh, would have to happen for USC to finally uh, exert its financial clout? Earl in West LA. Dan Earl, I wish I, I wish I knew. Uh, I don't know. Uh, will the fact that between now and the time the Pac-12 TV contract is up? in 2024, the fact that Rutgers or Illinois will bring in $200 million more from the Big Ten TV program than the than USC will get from the Pac-12 program. I mean, even for USC, having raised $6 billion in the last six years, $200 million is like real money. And maybe... USC will finally realize we got to do something if we want to be competitive with, you know, Ohio State's going to also get that $200 On top of everything else the Ohio State program generates, which I guess is probably the second wealthiest uh, to Texas in the country. And yet when USC plays Texas, when USC plays Ohio State, people aren't going to say, oh, gosh, USC shouldn't be able to compete with these guys they've got way more money and way more facilities and way more no people are going to expect usc to i mean you think you people aren't going to expect usc to beat texas this year and this, you know it's a texas program that had just put in uh in every uh locker uh for the new uh, in their new football locker room every player instead of a nameplate has a 42 inch flat screen tv uh i guess they got his name on it too but uh, they just decided, yeah, let's give them all 42-inch flat-screen TVs at the top of their or their locker room, or their locker, their individual lockers. I mean, that's the kind of money these schools, and I'm not saying USC should do that. I just think it's ridiculous. But USC's being asked to compete at that level and uh, and not being, you know, and, and doesn't have exactly the same opportunity to do so. Now, if you... You know, add in where all those programs are adding seats and averaging more than a hundred million or a hundred thousand a game in football. USC's trying to drop 
the Coliseum down to 77.5. I mean, it's like, what are they thinking? Uh, so will something hit them in the head hard enough to make the people, you know, at USC realize, you know, this may be going in the wrong direction, but, but the thought that, you know, an average, really below average, uh, program in the Big Ten will generate $200 million between now and 2024 than USC is going to get from the Pac-12 TV contract might make people at USC think, you know what, we may be in the wrong place. And we may be, you know, locked in with the wrong teams. And, you know, it might even ask themselves, you know, should Oregon State and Washington State be getting exactly as much money every year from the Pac-12 TV arrangements as USC? Hmm. I don't know. So, Earl, keep asking that question and ask it, you know, ask it of as many people as you can. We will. Uh, we don't get any answers, but I think, uh, we just have to keep asking. Yeah, definitely worth asking. Um, let's see. Kevin, he said, curious to know if the school, uh, he's talking about USC, have petitioned for additional eligibility for Kenny Bigelow and Toa Lobadon. Both were injured for the season. Uh, pretty early last year. Do you think Kenny, uh, don't think Kenny even suited up for a game and Toa went down in the first half of the first game. Doesn't that usually constitute a good case for one more year? Thanks, Kevin, no longer in South Orange County. Hey, Kevin. Uh, well, I think two things. One, I don't think you can, the NCAA has cleverly made it so you can't do that. Uh, you, you have to finish what would have been your last year. Then you can petition them. Then, of course, they can do what they did to Jordan Simmons and say, nah, never mind, go away, you're finished. So uh, as much as you would think, okay, that may qualify, yeah, it may or may not. And, uh, and I, my understanding is, though, they can't do that until you finish your, uh, your five years of eligibility. Then you can ask for the sixth year. And since neither one of them has completed that, they they wouldn't be able to ask for it, I think, until next January. All right. Um, thanks for that one. We got uh, Stephen Poway said, when the incoming freshmen were introduced at the fr- final spring practice, he didn't call it spring game, uh, I was shocked to see how big Brandon Peely looked in person, particularly when standing next to the other incoming players. My first thought was, wow, he looks more like an offensive lineman than a defensive lineman. I noticed the uscfootball.com recruiting page has him listed as 6'4", 300 pounds, but I would say he looked more like a Damian Mama, quote-unquote, 300 pounds, than a Leonard Williams, quote-unquote, 300 pounds. Have you heard anyone within the program talking about him, start, uh, talking about starting him out on the offensive side of the ball, especially with some of the recent depth issues there? Thanks, Stephen Poway. And he said, P.S., big shout-out to the two nice USC fans I sat next to at the practice, who offered me a seat when I couldn't find my original spot. The Trojan family is for real. Well, that was nice, Stephen. Yeah, uh, Stephen, your ob- observation was was that of everybody we were standing next to, especially we got down on the field. He is a uh, he's a big kid. Um, whether that translates to um, you know going over to offense or not, I don't know. Yeah, see, he hasn't had a great deal of luck with those back and forth transfers for some reason. Uh, uh, you know, maybe coaching all the, uh, you know, disruption in terms of year to year to year on the offensive line. 
but um, I, I don't know how, how I think about that in, in terms of, you know, I'm just happy to have somebody that big and, and looking as athletic as it seems he is and let it sort, it, let it sort itself out uh, uh, this first year that he's here. But, uh, but you're right, you could not miss that. Uh, and that's one of the things, even for the players that are already in the program, listed weights, I mean, you know, I probably drive them crazy because almost every time I talk to the USC kids, I ask them, what do you weigh today? And those kids, you know, usually they're supposed to weigh themselves pretty much every day. Uh, and those weights can be off, you know, 15 or 20 pounds, one way or the other. I mean, I think they still have a VI listed at 190. There's just no possible way he's still just 190. But... uh and, you know, Rojo is listed 195, he's 205. Uh, guys just, you know, I mean, I think it was Chad Wheeler we were trying to keep track of last year. I think he was, his weight, the day I asked him last year in fall practice, his weight was 37 pounds different from what he was listed on the roster. So, uh, so, and, and then you're talking high school kids, it's really hard. I mean, they're often in a growth spurt or they're often, really, you know, hitting the weights in a serious way that they haven't done, uh, you know, before that. And so, you know, trying to match up the listed weight with the actual weight is uh, is almost a fool's errand anymore. You just have to look at them and say, okay, this is what I think he weighs uh, as much as, as looking at any of the listed weights because uh, they're, they're not all that worthwhile uh, in terms of accuracy. Let's see. We got, uh, we've got a couple more. We'll let you go. Uh, Reggie in Seattle said, um, my comment today is regarding all of the injuries. I'm not, uh, referring to the ACLs or major things like that. Just little things that keep athletes from practicing. I've noticed the USC guys seem to always be banged up. Perhaps it's the nature of the beast, but what if anything can be done by the USC training staff to negate some of these little injuries? And secondly, is there an issue or concern that should be directed? towards the trainers or is this a player issue fight on reggie and seattle you know i i don't they're really all different kinds of uh injuries i think some of it is is from the fact they really went hard and and they really hit i mean they didn't you know it wasn't like two hour you know full tackle but when they hit they hit uh this is a team that looks like they really enjoy going out there and hitting hitting people and um, and they competed. I mean, I think uh, you know uh, it doesn't surprise me maybe that that Rojo ended up with Toto. He he made some cuts this uh, this spring that and you know he's he's a 205 pounder. Not that may be you know kind of a difference. Uh, I just think they worked them you know really hard, and I think they're being very smart and safe. I think had they play had they had a game to play. Last week, it wouldn't have surprised me if most of those kids would have played. Uh, I think, for example, Toe is very close, but they said, nope, we'll, we'll, we'll clear him right when they, when they finish spring. And they didn't feel the necessity, oh, we gotta get him in there. Or Daniel Amater Baby, he's out there every day with a yellow shirt on, uh, for part of practice. Uh, they're just playing it safe. 
but they're getting them in there. Uh, so I, I think it, 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 I think it's more overblown than it, than it seems to us when we see them out there. Uh, but, uh, but I, no, I would not go to a place where you, you have a feeling, oh, you know, we've got more injuries than, than they've got or, or whatever. I, I just don't, I don't think that's something that I would say, uh, about USC. If I were a USC fan, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, oh, what's, you know, what the heck's wrong with, with our trainers or whatever. I think they do, I think they do a pretty good job. And I think some of that is just to some extent luck of the draw and, and it happens. And, uh, and I know people say, well, what about Stanford? They put out this video and they just, they don't get anybody injured. And then you say, well, wait a minute, Christian McCaffrey, how much of the year did have a sort of a mystery kind of a deal that nobody seems to know what exactly it was and then he didn't play in the ball game? Uh, so, you know, I, I think your own perspective sometimes makes you focus on, on your team and, Maybe you don't see, you know, what everybody else is doing. I mean, look at Crosstown, poor UCLA, and and the injuries they had, starting with, you know, Josh Rosen, and and that was just a season-killing, you know, injury that nobody was completely certain exactly what was going on there and all that. So, so I, I wouldn't this spring. I wouldn't use that as a, you know, a rationale to say, hey, what's going on here with with the USC training staff or the players or whatever. I just think. I think they were being careful by the end and looking at, you know, down the road and, and not needing. I mean, they brought Kenny Bigelow pretty far back, but they said, you know, we don't need to actually play him full go 11 on 11, but we can get him in there and get him in, you know, into contact and all that. So I think they pushed it pretty far. They just didn't take any chances. I, I kind of like that. One last one for you, Dan. We'll let you go. Uh, Chris wrote in and said, with all of the modern equipment, concussion protocols, and overall health and nutrition oversight, do you think it's time the NCAA allows spring camp to extend to the end of April just before uh, academic finals approach and allow more authorized full-on tackling practices? Because of the over-governing from the NCAA, in my humble opinion, the core requirement uh, physicality of the game is being threatened. To borrow from the new Texas football head coach, during his first post-spring camp press practice conference, uh, Coach Tom Herman mentions, I'm still not sure why we don't allow them to put their safety equipment on. He was referring to the limited authorization of full pads and tackling practices. Uh, Ryan, Dan, your thoughts are greatly appreciated. Fight on from Chris. Well, I think there will be necessary changes in the physicality. I, I'm a big fan of of the rugby style tackling that the, you know, Seahawks, uh, have pushed pretty far where you get your head out of the way. And, and I mean, those guys, if you ever watch those rugby matches, you know, up close, and there are a lot of big guys running into a lot of people and they've got these little ear pad kind of helmets on and, and that's about it. And, uh, I think football has to go that way. I think they've got to take the, the helmet out of that direct, you know, drill when you drill somebody directly with your helmet and whether you drill them helmet to helmet or wherever you put it uh, I, I would like to see football and, and so if you could spend more time doing that I think that would be great uh, I think we're going to see it transition or, or football might be in some danger if, if 
if there are enough of these, you know, enough head injuries, enough, uh, you know, direct helmet, top of the helmet contacts, that just, that just shouldn't happen. And, uh, so I'd like to see them encourage people to feel very comfortable doing that. I think it's a better way to tackle period. I think it's a safer, uh, it's a safer tackle in terms of more secure, more likely to make the tackle less chance to miss as well as it's safer for the player, you know, making the tackle. Um, so anyway, that, so see, I, I do agree. There could be some unintended consequences when you limit, um, the amount of time in, uh, you know, in safety gear, uh, because we see them in the player run practice and they don't have helmets on. And I know, you know, in spring ball, even without, when they come out without pads, they, they require them to have their helmets on. So, you know, that might be an issue when somebody ought to say, wait, wait, why couldn't they wear their helmets in the, you know, the player run practices? Uh, but I know they get a little nervous because it's that getting it closer to an actual practice, practice as opposed to a player run practice. Because, you know, they want them, you know, they don't want the managers out there full scale and all the equipment out there and all that because they know how quickly that would uh, would become a real practice even if the coaches weren't there so it's a fine line they gotta walk uh, but anything that I think they could do uh, to allow guys a to be more safe and b to work on things like um, you know a safer uh, a safer more secure way of tackling uh, I'm all for all right, Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer and columnist. Great stuff, as always. We had a wide range of questions, and uh, I'm glad everyone got to send those in and glad you uh, got to address them all. So I hope you had a good time. It was fun. Yeah, great job by by all, you know, people are thinking the big thoughts now. I think I like that, uh, you know, where the future, and not just future for USC, but, you know, the future for college football and future for the Pac-12 and, there's a lot of a lot of future things to think about right now, and this is a good time to do it. It certainly is. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, you can check us out on our website, peristylepodcast.com, and, of course, uscfootball.com. For Dan Weber, this is Ryan Abraham. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.